Hello. Welcome, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to another VW podcast. This one is Three Things, where we talk to an entrepreneur or a business owner and ask them three questions about their business. With me today is a friend and a client and also a vendor of ours, Travis Holt. Travis owns an insurance company, and we've been fortunate enough to represent some of Travis's work and some of his investments outside of his insurance company. Travis and I have invested alongside each other in deals before, and then also Travis provides insurance services to my law firm as well as to some of our clients. Travis, welcome. Thanks for being here today. Thanks for having me. Travis, why don't you start for a sec by just giving a little bit of background about your business and what you guys do. I started two technology companies out of college, and the second one was a massive failure, and I stumbled into insurance uh, back in 2008 and immediately started trying to solve the cyber insurance and cyber risk management challenges facing many businesses back then and found that traditional insurance agencies and brokerages weren't set up to meet the needs of rapidly growing emerging technology businesses. So in 2011, I started Brush Creek Partners and BCP Tech, which is our technology venture capital and private equity brand. So we provide insurance solutions to two segments of the market. The first segment being rapidly growing emerging technology companies and their investors. And then the second segment is traditional middle market contractors, manufacturers, real estate businesses, and uh, and other traditional industries. You know, Travis, I think most people have a general understanding of what insurance is because everyone uses it for their car or their home or life insurance. But I think a lot of business owners, and you know, here at VW, we represent a lot of startups and a lot of small businesses. A lot of business owners are unaware of the types of business insurance that they might need other than probably general liability or property insurance. So would you just give an overview of the standard categories of business insurance and what they do? Yeah, and I would just say a, a good way to think about insurance for a business that's different than personal is it's a way to, to transfer financial risk off of a balance sheet. So your business in its early stages can't afford to write a 250000 or $500,000 check if something goes bad, but you may be able to afford a $10,000 or $15,000 expense on an annual basis to make sure that you don't have to write that 500000 or million-dollar check. So if you think about the areas where you might have to write that check, it could be a lawsuit for wrongful termination. If you terminate an employee and they claim that you terminated them because of their sex or their age or their race as opposed to their job performance, it could be a ransomware attack against your network that you rely on to build your business or build your product. It could be a breach of contract claim or a professional liability issue. So those are some of the more non-traditional insurance coverages that people don't think of. You know, They think of property insurance and general liability and workers' compensation and commercial auto if you have a fleet of vehicles or liquor liability if you have a bar. But a lot of people don't think about cyber liability and, and employment practices of liability and professional liability and things of that nature. Now, most businesses have general liability because of their lease. Usually a landlord, if you're going to have office space, a landlord will make a requirement to have general liability insurance in order to be in accordance with the lease. So why don't you talk for a sec, Travis, about what general liability insurance is, and then I want to ask about some of the other ones. So general liability insurance is just a basic insurance coverage to protect you against claims of primarily bodily injury or property damage. 
So it could be related to their two core areas. One is premises liability. So if you have a bar or a restaurant or a retail store or an office space and somebody comes to your premises and they slip and fall on a wet spot, that would be a claim of bodily injury as a result of a loss on the premises. And then the second piece is a product liability. So it would be bodily injury or property damage caused by a failure of your product. So if you're selling a widget or whatever product you're selling, if the product fails and causes bodily injury or property damage, then that would be covered under general liability. One thing to note is for technology companies, their product liability is a professional liability. So general liability to technology companies is pretty worthless because their product isn't going to cause bodily injury or property damage. Typically, the product is going to cause financial harm. So that's a distinction that a lot of technology companies early on struggle to figure out. So let's explore that for a sec. That absolutely makes sense for a products company. Pretty easy to see how, let's just say you have a new skateboard or a, some sort of a device that people are holding in their hands. But if you're a software company, then there's no way to cause bodily harm. But if you're a hybrid hardware software company, right? If you're, if you're building some sort of computer components that you're then sending to customers and they're going to run software, they're going to integrate it with their software, there could be some products liability there. Is that right, Travis? There could, but a lot of general liability carriers don't want to get tied up in that type of claim. So they'll exclude anything from general liability that's technology or professional related So if it was related to the design of the product or the coding that went into the product. So a lot of times, even if there is the ability to cause some bodily harm or property damage from the product, you still will see that product liability exposure picked up in a professional form or a cyber form as opposed to being picked up in a general liability policy. So, you know, think about the building technology space. You have a lot of technology companies that are coming out with, you know, smart building tools and building management tools and, you know, the whole property tech space, you know, providing smart homes and smart apartments. Those products can absolutely be responsible for property damage or be responsible for bodily injury if there's any kind of security component to that technology. So you have to be really careful about where you place that coverage and make sure that the professional liability and cyber liability and general liability policies all interact together. Because if you have a security component to your building technology tool for smart apartments and somebody breaks in and assaults or takes property from a tenant, you know, that could be a cyber attack. It could be a failure in the coding. It could be a physical defect that led to somebody's ability to get into that apartment unit. And so because there's such overlap and a gray area there, you have to be really careful. Same thing with medical devices. You have medical devices that are physical products, but have a lot of technology that goes into those products. And so it's critically important to make sure that you understand the overlap of all those different policies. So let's talk about two specific types. I'm going to give my firm as an example. We're a services company, and I'll talk about the insurance that we have. And then, Travis, I want you to just 
talk about a SaaS company because a lot of our clients are SaaS. It's you know a very popular business to be creating these days. And then you know Travis, maybe you could give some recommendation on what sort of policies those business owners would need to consider. So for my firm, we're a law firm. We have a physical office space. You know we provide professional services. We have general liability insurance. It's required by our landlord. We have malpractice insurance, which is not required under state bar rules, but it's highly recommended. And so we've had malpractice insurance for a long time, and it's very expensive for service providers, especially for lawyers. But as we, as the firm grows, we do more sophisticated transactions. You know, we increase the size of that on a regular basis. And then I think just recently we added a cyber liability rider to our policy to protect us in the event that our data was stolen, our systems were compromised, or some confidential client information was breached. So let me pause there. And Travis, let's talk about cyber liability. Let's just say that someone broke into our systems or hacked into our systems and took a bunch of client information out of it. First of all, it'd be a really boring hack. They'd end up with a bunch of documents right, on, on venture and, and whatnot. I don't know how exciting of a hack that would be, but let's just assume that that information had been compromised. How would the cyber liability policy help us in that situation? So cyber is a unique policy in that cyber provides financial security, but it also provides a whole lot of services. So when you've had a breach or a cyber incident, you don't necessarily know what to do or how to respond. When you get in a car accident, you know what you need to do. You need to take your car to the body shop and have it repaired, or you need to call a tow company. Or if somebody gets hurt, you call an ambulance and you go to the hospital. But what about a cyber attack? The carrier provides breach response services, computer forensic services. If somebody takes your system ransom, the carrier will pay the ransom. If you have to notify affected individuals, the carrier will notify those affected individuals for you. So when you select a cyber insurance provider, it's important to look at the services provided in addition to the policy. Most cyber incidents or data breaches don't result in a lawsuit from the affected individuals, but that protection is also there. You know, there are oftentimes regulatory investigations, whether it's healthcare information under HIPAA, financial information, state attorney generals, or things like CPA in California or GDPR in Europe. Okay, very helpful. So now let's talk about a SaaS-based business. Imagine, Travis, that you've got a SaaS, which is software as a service business, that does not have an office space. Everyone's working remotely, and they've got a little bit of traction. They've gone out and raised some money. They've you know they raised a seed round. They call you and they say, "Hey, we we need to talk about insurance for our business. Our, our investors have asked us to do this. How would you advise them? What sort of insurance products would this company need to consider?" So there are really three core products that that we would recommend for SaaS companies early on. The first is a basic, what's called business owner's policy, or referred to as a BOP, and that provides property, general liability, commercial auto, and is usually very inexpensive, you know, less than $100 a month, and it's just a basic suite of coverages that any business should have. The second, which is really the most valuable to a SaaS business, is a combined technology, media, and cyber policy. And that protects against claims that the product failed to do what they said it would do, protects against cyber incidents, protects against claims for infringement of intellectual property to include, you know, copyright, software code, trademark, not patent, and in a lot of cases, not trade secrets. But there's some basic 
infringement of intellectual property coverage, and then the cyber, obviously, which I mentioned earlier. And that policy is much more expensive than the business owner's policy, but depending on what you know vertical of SaaS they're in, can still be very affordable. Anybody dealing with crypto, fantasy sports, fintech, digital health, those are some of the more high-risk classes, and those classes can bring some pretty significant premiums. But for a basic B2B SaaS company, you know, maybe $200 or $300 a month for that policy. And then the third area is management liability, which a lot of times will be required by investors, which is directors and officers, employment practices liability, fiduciary liability, and the things that go along with just managing and running the business. Okay, that's very helpful. And that I'll chime in and say that last one, the management liability, is pretty typical for any venture-backed company that has an A round or later. The investors are going to have a seat or multiple seats on the board, and they will not do that without DNO insurance, which is directors and officers insurance. So any one of our clients that has raised an A round, and sometimes at the seed round, they will have DNO insurance in place. Travis, what's a typical cost for DNO insurance? Well, I was I was just going to chime in. The DNO market has turned completely upside down right now. It happened almost overnight, about April fifteenth, and the underwriting community started to get incredibly scared because of COVID. The number one early stage tech directors and officers claim is related to bankruptcy, and underwriters started to feel like bankruptcy was going to significantly increase increasing DNO claims. So. DNO used to cost 300 to $350 a month for an early stage SaaS business who just raised a seed or an A round. It's probably gone up about $200 a month, but you have to be very careful with DNO or directors and officers insurance because the exclusions the carriers are adding now are significantly restricting coverage for the things that you would want. So, you know, one of our top markets used to write almost all of our early stage tech directors and officers is now putting absolute network security and data breach exclusions on all of their directors and officers policies, which is obviously a significant risk for a technology company. So you have to read the fine print. You can absolutely go out and get cheaper directors and officers coverage than what I mentioned. You can still find a policy for $300 or $400 a month, but it's going to be littered with exclusions and virtually not worth the paper that it's written on. Let me chime in here and encourage anyone who's listening to this and is going to reconsider their insurance needs or go out and get a new policy. You really need to rely on the expertise of your broker to help you understand these policies. Um, we had someone take a close look at our malpractice policy a couple of years ago, and we learned that we had a claims made policy, which had to do with the timeline in which claims were made versus when the policy was in effect. And fortunately, we were just being proactive about it. However, it made a huge difference in how the policy could actually be enacted. And it was just when we first got our last malpractice policy, we just had a broker who just went out to the market and brought us one back and we signed it. And we didn't really understand it. So I want to encourage the business owners out there to really rely on your insurance brokers, the guys like Travis, to help you read the fine print. That's what they do. That's their job. And to make sure that the policy makes sense for you. All right, Travis, I want to move on to question number two here. What is something that business owners think they know about insurance or their policy, but that they really don't understand? I would hit on that exclusions topic. 
I was taught very early on that carriers exclude things for three reasons. One is because they want to add it back later and charge more premium. Two is because it's better covered under another policy. And three is because they have no desire to cover it anywhere. So, you know, for example, fraud is just something that they don't want to cover anywhere. Abuse and molestation is something that they might not want to cover under general liability, but that they're willing to add back for additional premium. And professional services is excluded from general liability because it's better covered under another policy. So just because something appears to be covered when you've read the first two or three pages of your policy doesn't mean that it's actually covered by the time you get to the end of the policy. So on a media liability policy form, when you get coverage for infringement of copyright and infringement of trademark, and you think that your software code is in good shape, but then there's an exclusion for software code later on in the form, then you really have no coverage for a claim where they allege that you've infringed on the copyright of software code. So it's important not just to read the first couple pages of the policy and to actually read the entire thing or rely on somebody who has read the entire thing to know where the pitfalls might be. Okay, that's a good one. I've definitely seen that affect clients of ours. Okay, Travis, and the last question for you is, I'd love to hear about some of the more exotic insurances that maybe we haven't covered or maybe an interesting or quirky request that you've had in the past. Well, so I'll give two. The first thing I think relevant to the times, I don't know how many people out there have read about it. It's been fairly prevalent in the news, but they canceled Wimbledon this year. And so for the last 17 years, Wimbledon had paid $2 million a year for an event cancellation policy. So they've paid $34 million and Lloyd's just cut them a check for, I think, 260 or $270 million. I don't know if that's exactly accurate, but it was something over $200 million because they had to cancel Wimbledon. So when you look at some exotic insurances and think about paying $2 million a year for a policy for 17 years that you never used, and then all of a sudden you got a $200 million check, probably a pretty nice feeling. But I would say something you know that we see a lot that companies of all shapes and sizes, but especially early stage SaaS businesses, is that their clients a lot of times put very unreasonable and unrealistic insurance requirements on early stage companies. So we see a lot of these exotic might not be the right word, but a big company where our client is really excited because they've just closed a deal and you know, they sold a software solution for $100,000 to a big bank, and then they didn't really look at the contract, and their counsel read the contract after they had already committed to the deal, said, you need to talk to your insurance broker because they're requiring you to have $20 million of cyber, and you have no cyber. And then all of a sudden, it costs them $100,000 to get a $20 million cyber policy. So, We see a lot of very egregious requests. We had a big bank ask one of our clients for a $50 million umbrella, and they were pre-product, pre-revenue. We had a client yesterday that one of their clients asked them to have $15 million of cyber and $15 million of professional liability, and then ask all of their vendors to have those same requirements and have certificates on file for all of their vendors. So... Before you enter into a contract with a new client, 
just make sure that there's not any egregious requirement to purchase certain types of insurance that may make that engagement not profitable anymore. Man, that's such a great one, Travis. I see that all the time. And it's exactly the situation that you described, you know, up and coming startup that is just baby, just getting going at their first institutional enterprise level customer. And then they send over their form docs and it says you need 5 million in auto and 5 million in workers comp, right? When workers comp isn't required in Texas, there's no auto necessary because no one's driving anywhere for the purposes of this business. Or you have these outrageously high cyber and, and liability coverage minimums like you've discussed. So definitely have seen that. That's a great one. Okay, well, that's a great one to end on. Travis, this has been really, really helpful. I know people are going to see this and think insurance. That doesn't sound that exciting. But, man, I don't know if there's a way to provide more value to small businesses than sharing the information you just did You know, for 20 minutes here. I think that uh, we're going to start requiring all of our small business and startup clients to listen to this because I know that this answers a lot of questions that I'm not equipped to answer, right? The lawyers, we end up just generally sending these guys on back to their brokers or to different insurance resources. And I think this provides a lot of clarity. So thanks a lot, Travis, for hopping on. Um, Always good to catch up with you. I look forward to hopefully being able to see you in person soon. Absolutely. Thanks for having us, Kevin. And thanks for all the great work that you guys do for uh, our clients and for the tech community. Thank you, sir. Talk to you soon. The Valewood podcasts are recorded in our Dallas office in Mockingbird Station. You can find all of our podcasts, including Office Hours, Three Things, Silicon Valley Review, and Vegan Juice on Apple Podcasts. For questions, comments, or suggestions, email us at podcasts at valewoodlaw.com.